0: to see all of you here this morning, uh, and to all those who are listening online, uh, glad to have you aboard as well. I uh, had some uh, people who are listening from out east uh, contact us this week, and so you just never know where people are listening, and we're just glad that uh, you're taking some time to put the word in your heart. And for those of you who got up nice and early this morning to come put the word in your heart, let's stay awake and make sure it happens, right? So... Uh, uh, Again, uh, last week we started talking about this um, this topic of identity, and I want to just jump right in and and carry on with that thought this morning. We were we were talking about the, the 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 thought that we we find our identity in a number of things, and we've been designed to find and define our identity by outward. Outward uh, sources that, that things like our culture and our our nationality and some of our like our past or, or things that uh, that define us our gender um, and for for all of those things they help define our identity and who we are and what we hold on to. And we talked last week about how we feel like our whole culture is in like an identity crisis. They're they're not really sure who they are. We're changing bathroom signs. We're doing all kinds of stuff to try and accommodate this whole group of people who uh, include, and not like abroad, just this idea of I'm not sure who I really am. And so last week we talked about the thought that there's a primary identifier in our lives as well as secondary identifiers. And we uh, encourage you to go back to, to what God designed you to be, is that the primary identifier of your life would be Him. That who you are in Christ would be the primary identifier, and everything else would be affected by that. And so last week, you can go, I, I don't have enough time to kind of go over all of those thoughts, so please, uh, you can check that one out online if you missed it last week. But for some this week, you might say, well, what's the point? Why Why should I, like, why should I def- um, def- look into who I am in Christ. What does that even matter? Isn't it good enough if I just sort of said a prayer and accepted Christ into my heart? Last week we used this this illustration of, of a pool to sort of symbolize what it would be to, if this was Christ, that we would be in Christ rather than just saying, you know, I'm going to take Christ with me, got him in my heart. Now I just go do my regular life. And, you know, I'm a Christian. I got Christ, you know, with me every Sunday morning from 930 till 11. I'm a Christian. He's saying I, that's not the whole point of just having, um, uh, having said a prayer and just accepting Christ. It was more than that. And the, the reason that, that I want you to explore that this morning is not just because it's true. It is true, but that's not the reason I want you to explore it this morning. I don't want you to explore it just because it's a matter of eternity. That whether you'll spend eternity with, with God in heaven or spend eternity without him in a place called hell, that's not the reason I want you to explore that this morning. The reason I want every person who says, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, to explore this, this, this truth of what it means to be in Christ is because it affects every area of our lives here. It affects everything, and we're going to look at that this morning. We mentioned a verse last week at the very end. It's where I want to start. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul wrote to the Romans and wrote to many believers, and he wrote, he, he wrote um, uh, this to them. He said, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Don't, try, don't take your cue from them. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He says, let God transform you into who you're really supposed to be by changing the way you think. God's not just going to change your life and transform you just because you're like, God, I said a prayer, please fix all my life. Okay, boom, marriage fixed. Boom, kids all obey all the time. Boom, money's in your bank account. It's just not going to happen that way. You know, life free from sin, life, you know, it's all. it doesn't happen that way. He said the way your life is transformed is you got to change the way you think. You gotta change the way you think. Even repentance is that idea of changing the way I think about life. Because what you think really matters. You know, there's the illustration of elephants that they keep on these little chains around their legs, even these full grown elephants with a chain around their leg tied to just a post in the ground. It doesn't even have to be attached to anything, and they they don't pull away. Simply because, as a baby elephant, when they're captured, they're chained to a large tree until they give up hope of ever escaping. And so any time they feel the chain around their leg, they have this this limitation imposed on them that they can't go anywhere. When the truth really is, they don't know who they are. They could rip that stake out of the ground and go for a a stroll. The thing is, for many people, it's the same way. They have these limitations on their life. For many followers of Christ, limitations on their life that, that really shouldn't be there but it's because of the way you think that they are. And so uh, I wanted to take a look a little bit more at that this morning, uh, just over the next few minutes, as to what that really means of what being in Christ does, how it takes the limitations off of your life. Paul mentioned 160 times about this concept of being in Christ to the early believers. 160 times. He wanted them to know you, as a follower of Jesus, are in Christ You are in Christ, you are in Christ. He mentions it 160 times. He wanted them to know that it was foundational for them. On August 14th uh, of 1173, that's a long time ago, there was a group of Italian builders began construction of a beautiful bell tower to stand next to their cathedral. There were to be seven bells tuned to a musical scale that would be installed in the top of the tower upon completion. Within the first number of years, the builders realized that something wasn't quite right as they were building this tower, and they just, but they decided they would continue to build anyways. Others carried on from their work and continued building, and after them, others continued building as well. The building took nearly 226 years to complete. The completed structure weighed 14,700 tons, and only one half of the foundation was strong enough to bear the weight of this tower. Rather than fix the problem when they discovered initially, they just continued to build their beautiful tower in the city named for the marshy land it was built on. the city was called Pisa. The leaning tower of Pisa, they knew from the beginning that this thing wasn't something wasn't right with the foundation of this tower, but they kept building anyways. And what I found, for, for many followers of Christ, the foundation, as they look at their life in Christ, like. I'm not sure you know, how, I'm not sure if this is all going right. Is there, is there more to it than just kind of going on Sunday mornings? Like it just doesn't feel right, but oh, I'll just keep living anyways. And they keep building their life on this angle. Well, if it hadn't been for some modern um, uh, involvement, that tower's coming down. And today I feel like if there wasn't some involvement in your life in and, and how that foundation is set, your lives are going to crumble, even though you thought I'm building them uh, on Jesus Christ. I've got Christ with me. It should be enough. But, the, but your life and how it's affected, it matters what you think. What you think and believe about God, what you think and believe about what he thinks about you, that matters incredibly. If you think that God's angry at you all the time, you're going to live your whole Christian life with this unhealthy fear of him. I, I, I don't want to ask him for anything. I don't want to talk to him. Thanks for saving me, but that's good enough. You know, I'll stay here and just give me a mansion on the farthest side of heaven. I don't want to be anywhere near you. You know, that if you have this, uh, this thought that God is like really, really far away, you'll have this unhealthy familiarity and think, you know, he's not involved in your life. Or if you have this thought that God's controlling everything in your life, you're going to blame him for all the stuff that you did and never take, t- take a, a chance to allow wisdom to affect your life simply because of how you think of things. So this morning, the goal is, is, is just simply this, to challenge you to think differently about what it means to be a follower of Christ and to have a life that's in Christ. You're like, well, how do we get in Christ? If you have the version app and you read this morning, I would challenge and encourage you to get that, that app. The verse of the day was this, from 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. It said, if you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then you have God in you and, and you are in God. If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, as a follower of Christ, that's what you've done. You've said, I'm going to follow him because he's the Son of God. And you got God in you. But he says this other thing, you are also in God. And that's what we were talking about uh, in this series is who are you in Christ? I want to share the next little bit about uh, about what it means to be in Christ. We talked about it last week. When you're in Christ, that your life is in him, that it defines and identifies your life. There's a couple things that come with it. Actually, there's a ton. This thing should be full uh, of balls. But we're going to look at a few this morning. When you're in Christ... You're loved. You are loved simply by being in Christ. When you decided to confess that Jesus is your Savior and you're now in Christ, you are completely loved. But do you believe that? When you look at your life, do you think, you know what, I'm completely loved. And we know the verses in the Bible, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We believe that God loved the world, but does he love me? We believe that God loved us, you know, that while we were sinners, it says in Romans 5, while we were sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us by dying for us on the cross. We believe that he loved us when we're sinners. But now that we're followers of him, and as a follower of Christ, do you know that he loves you still? Are you convinced of the fact that you're loved all the time? No matter what, you're loved. You woke up feeling crappy this morning, you're loved. You woke up and was like, ah, I'm alive, let's go, let's, let's live that's none of you but uh you know that that idea of you're loved you're loved you know sometimes as followers of Christ we we begin to doubt this circumstances come in our lives and it's you know, we had this pretty powerful windstorm this week. I don't know if it's affected any of you, but our building's missing shingles on the front, siding on the back. It took our uh, kids' play center and just rolled it over a few times in the backyard. Uh, and, and all around, there's trees uprooted. Roof comes off a whole building. Even houses were blown to the, to the ground in a windstorm similar to this just a couple months ago in Brampton. There's some other ones in Toronto this week that are now leaning uh, uh, and have to be restarted simply because it tests. That wind comes and tests Circumstances come in our lives too. And they test this idea. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and you know, as, you're, as you've been praying about something and you're not seeing the answer that you're hoping for and you're like, God, is this true? You begin to wonder. You know, you, you, you're doing life, you go to church, but your marriage is a train wreck and you're like, God, do you really, do you really love me? Or you're stuck in that cycle of that ad- you go to that addiction, and then you say, God, I'm sorry, and you feel loved, and then you like, back into it again. And then you're like, Sunday morning, God, I'm sorry, and you feel loved, and you like back into it again, and you wonder, God, am I loved? Well, Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, and he uh, told them, you know, first century believers, it was terrible for them. They were persecuted simply for, for who they believed in. There was continuous persecution on levels we, we rarely see. Paul wrote to them this, he said, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he doesn't love us if we've got trouble or calamity, if we're persecuted, if we're hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? The scriptures keep saying, for your sake, we're killed every day and we're being slaughtered like sheep. But he said, no, despite all of this stuff, despite all of the circumstance, he says, we, uh, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. We're gonna talk about that next week. He says, you're victorious in Christ. It says, who loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, not life, no angel, no demon has that power. There's not our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says, if you're in Christ, you are loved Hands down, enough said, all done. You're loved. But do you believe it? See, the truth is you're loved. But it doesn't really matter what the truth is if you don't believe it. So the challenge today is to think about that. Because you know what? We live in a culture that is just desperate for love. We really are. It's why Facebook is so popular. It's like everybody puts up all their stuff that somebody might like it. And now I think there is a love button on there, right? Or like a a heart or there's other emotions because like wasn't doing it. I just want people to love. I know people, they go on, they buy likes because it makes them feel better when they see a thousand likes on a picture. What what is that? There's this craving on the inside for this idea of being loved. You know, we see people doing all kinds of stuff, reaching out, screaming out, will somebody love me? 1980, this is for some of you from back then, there's a good old boy, a good old country singer named Johnny Lee, who um, his, song, uh, his album's called Urban Cowboy, and he wrote a song called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Single bars, too many faces, some of you, it's coming back to your mind, you're like, oh, I did not think I was going to think about that this morning. <laughs> Looking for love in all the wrong places. The one night stands, none of it seemed to satisfy that desire for love. Well, it's still the same today. It's just different. Now it's like swipe right, you know, it's, uh, grab Tinder, different, explore your sexuality. In our schools and our teens, it's like, you know what? Look for that person who's gonna love you. Maybe it's a girl, maybe it's a boy. It doesn't really matter. Just find that person who's gonna love you. And let's explore every possible option to try and find this elusive thing called love. And our culture screams for it. Could, but could you imagine if we understood If people would understand that in Christ, they're already fully loved, that the search doesn't need to go any farther than that, that the primary identifier of your life of I am already loved would just affect everything else. This especially for the teenagers here this morning. If you're here as a teenager, my challenge for you, if you're a follower of Christ, is to get this one in your heart and in your head so that there's no doubt that you are loved. Because it'll affect everything. It'll affect how you date, It'll affect who you have sex with. It'll affect who you marry. You're not gonna be looking for that, that person who's like, I think this for my daughter. You know, I want my daughter to so know how much she's loved that, you know, the first guy that pays attention to her someday says, oh, wow, Reese, you're so beautiful. <laughs> okay, do whatever. Right, we want that for our daughters, don't we? We want them to have that idea that they're so loved that they're not searching and don't marry some dork simply because he said, oh, I love you, <gasps> You laugh, but I see it happen all the time. It's not your kids, but But you know what if you um if we believed it fully, if we understood that we were loved fully, it would affect the other areas of our lives. So my question is, do you believe that you're loved fully? See, the truth is it's who you are in Christ. And I love this thought. You're loved in Christ. It's who you are in Christ, not who you're becoming. It's already who you are because it's about what he's done. Sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm kind of on my way, but he says it's so much more than that. And he says it wasn't just a truth to rest in. Say, oh, good, you know, I can know that I'm loved. He's telling you to live that out. The reason he wants you to understand that you're in Christ is so that you can actually be a light, be be his hands and feet on this planet. That's why Jesus commanded things like this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. That's not like a new suggestion or a new like, hey, if you feel like it. He's like, I'm telling you to do this. Love each other. But he says it again. He says, it's actually this. He says, just as I have loved you. It starts with me. I've loved you. You're in Christ. You are loved. He says, you should love each other. And what's going to show when you love each other? People are going to know that you're a follower of Christ. Because you understand that in Christ, I'm loved. And I can love others. We have such a difficult time loving other people when you're so searching for love from other people. You know, imagine what this looks like in marriage. If two people understand that they are so completely loved that they can just share that love with one another. It's love that feels like, the, not just all the feelings, but the, the, the actions of, you know, you can be patient with her because he's been so patient with you. You know, you can be kind to your husband, not because he always deserves it, but because, but because he's been so kind to you. It's that idea of love doesn't seek its own way. It's not looking for its own because it doesn't need it. It, it, When something gets satisfied here, you can actually do life the way that he desired. You know, being being loved in Christ sets you free to love everyone. Everyone. See, Jesus didn't just say, you know, love your brothers and sisters. He took it way deeper than that. And here's where it gets a little more difficult. Matthew chapter 5, he said, I want you to love your enemies. Think about that person you just really can't stand at work. Please don't nudge them if they're sitting beside you. Think about, that. think about that person who has wronged you, who has been just so brutal to you. Think about, and maybe for you, like, I don't have any enemies. Then think about our common enemies, the ones who, would, who, are, who are beheading our brothers and sisters overseas simply because they call themselves a follower of Christ. That there's enemies, and he's saying, I want you to love them. I want you to love ISIS. I want you to love those that you would consider to be, to be enemies. And you're like, God, why would you tell us that? Dr. Cynthia Thake, uh, she's an author of a, a book called Your Vibrant Heart. Not sure if she's a believer, but she writes the following. I find it fascinating. He said, she said this, feelings of rage and hatred build up in the mind, body, and soul. They affect the body's organs and natural pro- processes, prolonged bouts of anger and hatred can take a toll on the body in the form of high blood pressure, stress, anxiety, headaches, poor circulation, and even impairing your immune system. When you think about the effects that hatred just have on you, doesn't it sound pretty logical that a good father is going to tell you, hey, avoid that? Don't hate because it's going to hurt you. He said, I want you to love your enemies because if you, if you hate your enemies, it doesn't hurt them, it hurts you. And you're loved in Christ So you can love out of that. It's exactly what we'd expect a good father to tell us. In Christ, you are loved. And because you're loved, you can just share love. You can just give it away. It doesn't really matter. I'll just make sure you're awake. You can make sure that you can love others simply because you are loved. But see, this this has to happen first. got to know that you're loved. Second thought is this, in Christ you're accepted. Accepted in Christ. Man, Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ. He uses this term, you're accepted into his family. Ephesians 1 verse 5, it says, God decided in advance to adopt you into his family. He's keeping you. It's not like you're the foster kid or whatever that says, okay, you can come visit me and then if you're bad, just send you home. You know, or I'll take you from the orphanage, but you know, you don't behave, able will send you back. He's not like that. He's talking about this idea of you're accepted into a family where you get to stay. You get to stay. You've been accepted. You know, the lengths that our culture goes to, to find that word, to feel that word of being accepted with our teens and peer pressure, it's incredible. It's incredible the things that we'll do just to feel accepted. Maybe, maybe you remember back to school. You know, it all started, it all started in the smoke pit. You just went over there to hang out because that's where the cool kids were. And then to be cool, you just got to take one heater. And you're like, and now it's like a prison. You're like, man, I can't quit. It was that first party where you're like, oh, everyone else is doing it. I'll take a drink of that. And then later on, it becomes a prison. You're with your buddies at Walmart, and they're like, hey, bet you can't steal that. Bet you I can never knowing that these decisions that we made just to be accepted later on become defining characteristics of our life he's saying re- if you'd realize that you're already accepted in Christ you can avoid all kinds of stuff simply cuz it defines this is what defines you do you realize that 90% of of addictions start as teens For you teenagers this morning, this is for you. If you would know and just be convinced of the fact that you're accepted by putting his word into your mind until it gets into your heart until you realize, I'm already accepted. I don't need to do anything that they say. And for the adults and others, what about this idea of accepting yourself? For so many, you wrestle with these things. How many pounds do you have to lose before you'll have that feeling of acceptance on the inside? How many times will there be self-loathing or self-harming before you can feel good about you? See, God cares about that kind of stuff too. He's, he's fine if you want to lose weight. That's no problem. But if that's what your identity is tied to, you're going to live a life of just misery. He says, no, you're accepted in Christ. No, you're accepted at whatever, whatever uh, looks back at you from the mirror. Know that you've already been accepted. What would it look like if we actually believed that? See, that's the thing. He's telling you to believe that you've been already accepted. A few weeks ago, I share this with my small group guys. A few weeks ago, this one hit home for me. Because this is the one that I have the most trouble with. I, I live my life and, and I know it. And then every once in a while I drift away from it. And I kind of start thinking about, you know, I, I wonder. And so a couple weeks ago I felt really just challenged in my, in my personal devotional time that God was telling me, Mark, you gotta stop being so addicted to the praises of men. I'm like, I'm not addicted. It's like, you love to hear them say, good job, Mark. That message hit my heart. You love seeing the emails. You love hearing the phone calls. You love all the texts. of That was awesome, bro. And I'm like, of course I do. What's wrong with that? You know, like, sure, sure, that's fine. And he says, but you know, you're addicted to the praise of people. You're finding your acceptance in that. And I'm like, well, okay, Lord, if you want to deal with that, go ahead. We'll, We'll deal with that. The very next week, I start getting critical comments about the messages. And, and, and I'm like, oh, and it hurt. I went home, and was like, I was like, and he's bringing it to me. He says, why does it matter? I'm like, I don't know. It just does. He's like, yeah, because you're addicted to the praises. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, okay, I got, I got. What's the problem, though? And the words of Paul that he wrote came into my mind. He said, if you seek to please men, you can't be a servant of Christ. And as I was preparing, it was crazy because the very next week as I'm preparing and I'd had some of this negative thoughts in my mind, I'd start writing down. I'm like, I'm not saying that. And he's like, yeah, you are. I'm like, and it was that instant where I realized that I was now caring more what your acceptance of me than your acceptance of truth. He says, I'm, I love these people too much to just allow you to care about what they think of you. They need to hear truth. And so I realized, God, you got to do that in my life. And realize, he says, Mark, I've accepted you. You're accepted, just, just go and speak what I tell you to say. Realizing that, that's how it affects our lives. I'm already accepted in Christ. And he says, it's not just something to live, rest in, it's something to live out. At the end of Romans, he writes this, he says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. He's like, knowing you're accepted allows you just to accept others around you. My question is, is there things in your life that you're doing just to be accepted by others? There may be something wrong with the idea of your understanding of in Christ you already are. And the last one, we'll do it quick. We talked about it a lot last week, so we'll just touch on it uh, today is this, that you've been forgiven. It doesn't say it on the ball, but that ball got lost. You are, it's still true. You are forgiven in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it said, In him we have redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We're right with God because of what Christ has done. You are forgiven. And as I talked about that this week, I met with my Mormon friends and we sat down around a table um, talking. And and so we started talking about heaven and uh, we talk about all kinds of different things. And they were explaining to me that uh, according to, to what they believe, there's three levels of heaven. There's you know, the, the heaven where if you've been baptized as a Mormon, you get to go. Then there's the heaven for good people who believe in Jesus. And then there's the heaven for just good people who don't believe in Jesus. And then there's, well, for the really, 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 really bad people, I don't think there's any they feel like there's maybe a bad place for them. And so we began talking about it. And so I asked them, where do you think I'm going? And they were like, Mmm. Uh, I don't know, you know, like we've been talking about how I have faith in Christ and I love the Lord. I've been baptized as an adult, and they're like, the one says, ah, we really like you, so we're really hoping that, you know, you're gonna be, that you're gonna be like in the middle one. I'm like, good, you know, so I don't, if I'm making the middle one, then, then why would I, you know, I don't need to accept anything more than that. I'm good. At least I made it to the middle one. And so I asked them, I'm like, so where are you going? Well, we don't know. I'm like, well, do you just want to go to the middle one? Well, no, we want to go to the top one. And so I said, well, do you know if you're getting there? How do you know if you're getting there? And they're like, well, you know, you got to be baptized. you got to live it all out. you got to be a really good person. And then you get to go there. I'm so, so, so how righteous are you, I asked them. Are you good enough today? And you could just see them thinking, uh I don't I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. And the one said, No, I'm not. I need there's more that I gotta do in my life to get to that spot where I'm righteous enough for God to let me into the top level of heaven. And if you're just listening here, you're like, is there three levels of heaven? No, we don't believe anything. Please don't get lost in that part. The, the the spot was I'm like, well, can I just tell you what I believe? I believe that based on the Bible, Jesus said there's just one heaven, and, and then there's also one place called hell. And based on what Christ has done for us and accepting that, that's how you end up in one of those two places. And he, I said, you know, that I can tell you today, I'm going to like level one. You know, I'm going to, to heaven simply because of what Christ has done. I began to share with them, you know, the Bible you have says, the righteous we are righteous because of what Christ has done. He became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God in him. I know where I'm going. And they looked at like this thought and, they texted me later. Hey, can we meet next week? You know, we we got more, we, we we want to talk. And it's these things of just realizing that they weren't sure where they're going. But you know what? You know what came to my mind as I as I thought about that. We can think, oh, you know, the Mormons who don't believe the same as us. They don't know where they're going. But you know what? I know tons of Christians who call themselves Christians. Some of you go here and you don't know where you're going. You you sit here. You're here hoping it's going to give you brownie points. So you know where, that maybe it's going to like. Tip the scale in your favor, and you don't know where you're going. Do you know what that says? You don't understand the foundation of who you are in Christ. That's been decided for you. But being in Christ, you are good. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I think you only believe half of that. I'm a sinner. Because if you believe saved by grace, you know, I'm a saint. I am a saint in Christ Jesus because it's in Christ no, amen. All right, well. Charlie, you and me are going. That's what it means. Like, can you understand how big of a, of a deal that is, that when you are in Christ, that is secure. You don't have to wonder every day, you know, God, am I good enough? You're never good enough, but he always was. In Christ, you are completely forgiven. And Jesus says, you know what? You are forgiven so that you can forgive. And it's not just a a thing he commanded as well. I'm I'm out of time, but go home and look up Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to just briefly tell you the story. Matthew 18 uh, has uh, the story of two men. There's this guy who owes another guy millions of dollars. And he comes to him and he says, I can't pay. And the man says to him, listen, you're going to pay everything? He's like, I can't. He's like, fine, then I'm selling you as a slave, selling your wife and kids as slaves, I'm selling all your stuff, and that'll pay your debt, and we're, we'll be fine. And he begs, realizing I don't want to lose my kids, and I don't want to lose my wife, and I don't want to be a slave. He begs this man for forgiveness and says, just let, give me more time. And it says that the person who, who he was owed the money looks at him and had compassion on him and said, you know what? I'll do better than that. I'm going to forgive that debt completely. The man just left there with this weight off of his shoulders, realizing, oh, I've been forgiven. And then he sees his buddy down the road and is like, wait, that guy owes me 10 bucks," And he runs up to him and he grabs him and says, where's my money? I need my 10 bucks." And the guy says to him, I don't have it. Please. He's like, listen, I'm going to put you in, in I'm going to put you, like, you're going to do dishes in my house. You're going to work for me until you pay off every cent of that 10 bucks." And says he grabs him by the throat. Well, some men who had witnessed the first exchange see the second one. And they they come back to they come back to the, this man, this king, and say to him, listen, the guy you just forgave, he just beat someone up over a $10 debt. Well, the king says, grabs him and says, listen, you know, I was merciful to you. How could you not be merciful to someone else? And because of that, now you will spend the rest of your life in prison and, be, uh, and, and torture. And Jesus told this story, he made it up. But he, he made up this story to tell Peter. When he was asking, how much do I need to forgive my brothers? He says, listen. You need to forgive them, not because they deserve it, not because they've apologized, but because you've been forgiven. If you're a Christian and holding a grudge, there's a problem. Because you shouldn't, there's, there's no reason why you should ever hold a grudge. Holding a grudge is like, it's like you doing time in a prison of bitterness for someone else's crime. It, it's like, it's the idea of, you know, I, I think Buddha said it. It's like you drinking poison hoping the other person dies. It's the only good thing he ever said, but (laughs) it's, okay, maybe not, but he's saying this, you know what? In Christ, you're forgiven. And that's not just something to rest in. That's something to live out. He's saying, you've been completely forgiven and it's bigger than you think it is. It's a debt you couldn't pay. And he says, based on that, he says, you owe forgiveness to all those around you and it'll affect your life. Unforgiveness Uh, There's a study in 2015 done with cancer patients. They found that 61% of them had unforgiveness issues and how it affected their mind, how it affected their body. Saying, you know what, you've been forgiven, so you can forgive. We had a lady in our church. Last couple thoughts here. A lady from our church, she was uh, having some issues with her family. It had been years long. A year ago, she felt like God had told her, you know what, this came to her. She needed to forgive them. And she's like, well, they haven't apologized. She said, Mark, what should I do? And I said, like, you know what? Just go and do what the Lord puts on your heart to do. You go apologize and you forgive them first, whether they, uh, uh, whether they receive it or not. So she did. She sent them an email. I apologize and I for, or I forgive you. And they're like, you're the one who should be apologizing. You know, it's not us. And they were angry. And like, we're never talking to you again. One year later. One year later, as they're on the YouVersion Bible app. All of a sudden, she sees her sister show up on the YouVersion Bible app looking for friends. And uh, she's like, what is my sister doing on the Bible app? She's not a believer. <laughs> Calls her up. She said, one year ago, when you began, when you just came out and forgave and just automatically started that without, she says, I could not shake that. Something in that has been in with me all this time, and I had to find out who does that. She like, I knew you were a follower of Christ, and I need to find out why and how. Here's a woman who's now open, opening her heart to the gospel, opening her heart to the Lord, simply because of what her sister did. So maybe if you've got issues, it might not just be for you. Would you walk out what Jesus said to do? Because it might be for them. And the last thought, if you're not a follower of Christ here today, maybe you sit here and you're like, wow, he was hard on all those followers of Christ. I'm glad I'm not one of them today. (laughs) Using the pool analogy, you know, reminds me of one of my favorite stories of a guy, a king, who had a daughter and a half in his kingdom. He says, you know what? Uh, I'm going to set up a challenge so whoever can do this challenge gets to marry my daughter and gets half my kingdom. And he builds this pool. And he fills the pool with piranhas, sharks, and snakes. He says, all right, line up. And a 100 guys line up. He says, whoever swims across this pool gets my daughter and gets the kingdom. One guy jumps in right away, starts swimming furiously across, climbs out on the other side, and the king can't believe it. Like 30 seconds later, the challenge is over. Walks up to the guy, gives him a big pat on the back, and says, man, that's awesome. Welcome to the family. He's like, Guys, guy said, wait a second, I just have one question. He's like, I want to know who pushed me. <laughs> and as I, as I think about that, I think about this, that when, when God is inviting you into a relationship with him, no one's pushing you. He's not. He's not guilting you. He's not, he's not trying to control you with religion. He's inviting you into real life. He's inviting you to be forgiven for everything, every mess up in your past. He's inviting you to experience eternal life someday, but real life now. He's inviting you into relationship with him. Whoever you may be this morning, that invitation is on the table. That you can turn from a life that said, man, I've been living for me. I've been my own boss. I'm going to turn away from that. God, I'll follow you. He's saying, if you'll, if you'll do that, he says, you're invited in. To this to this life and he says don't just dip your toe in go all in find out who you are in Christ and I'd encourage you to take that offer this morning I would encourage you to take that offer of forgiveness and life in Christ and, and it will be amazing at where he can take you last story a guy named Thomas Martinez from Bolivia Santa Cruz or some someplace in uh, De La Sierra you can look it up He's 67 years old and homeless, and as he was sitting on a park bench, he saw two police officers coming up towards him. He got up and ran away and disappeared without a trace. He thought they were coming to arrest him because of his public uh, intoxication and because of the drug use he he had been warned before. The only reason we know about him is because they posted in the papers later, looking for this man, looking for this man who was owed a $6 million inheritance that his ex-wife had left him. The articles in the paper for over weeks have still yet to find this guy. These men were coming to bring him incredible news. But his feelings of like, oh, scared, took off. And for some of you, when you hear and you feel like your heart pounding, the insides we talk about, things like this is like, oh, God, I don't know. And you want to run? He's bringing you good news. You can trust him. He's a good, good father. And I would encourage you to accept what he's offering you rather than running away from it. Let's pray. Father, tonight or today, thankful for the chance to study your word and that it's, oh man, that it's so alive and it just really, really shows us who we are and allows us to live out uh, what you desire for us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us at the cross, that it's more than just forgiveness. Thank you for your love, for your acceptance, for your forgiveness in my life. Thank you that that is true for each of us. I pray that, in, that as we leave this place, Holy Spirit, that I know you continue to, to uh, bring us to that place. May that become alive in each and every person who uh, does, does the work of putting it in their heart. May their lives shine and reflect that truth to others around them. Uh, Father, thank you again for, uh, for, for the chance to have a relationship with you and to be a light in, the, in our world. Pray a blessing on every person as they leave this place uh, that they may live today for your glory and for your purposes. It's in your name we pray. Amen.